Hello, uh, I'm Stephen. Uh, I've been part of Sterling Vineyard for a few months now. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and our three children live in Balfron, not too far away. Uh, we've been enjoying some of the Connect events and having the chance to meet others from the church during lockdown. It's uh, great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, today we're going to uh, continue in our Ephesians series, Thrive. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, uh, talking through holiness and what it means to be an imitator of God. So the plan is to walk through what is holiness, uh, address some challenges and how we might think about holiness, then look at what Paul is calling us to in practical holiness, and then we'll finish up with a short time of, of prayer and ministry. And uh, while we'll come to Ephesians, uh, we're going to go back to Isaiah and uh, read a little bit of, of Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah was a prophet in, in Israel, and he had a, um, a vision. And uh, in chapter 6, he, he kind of records uh, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, uh, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah paints this picture of the throne room of God. God sitting on his throne. He's sovereign, he's high, he's lifted up, he's set apart. He's above all things. And there are these angels flying around, uh, their face and feet covered, declaring that God is holy. This declaration of holy, 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 the emphasis written out three times, um, seeing God's holiness is something they are declaring. Um, it's a picture that calls us to see God's holiness as something that's central to God's being. Uh, but it's also one that obviously results in worship. And later, uh, Isaiah um, responds in service as well and, and committing his life uh, to, to, to God's service. I don't know about you, but that's not quite how I've always understood holiness. I've understood it maybe to be a standard, that I have to behave in a certain way, that I have to, to do certain things. I haven't understood holiness as something to be celebrated. And I think if you ask uh, most people to define holiness, they would probably think about holiness being connected with the idea of being morally good. But holiness, if it's that core to God's being, has to be even bigger and richer conviction than this, because God is far more than just morally good. Uh, one of my favourite writers uh, is from the 1800s. Uh, is a guy called J.C. Ryle. He was a bishop in Liverpool. And he's got paper on holiness. And, and what he wrote in, in that paper was that God's holiness in action is all of his thinking, feeling, and doing, which is in, a, in accord with his infinite value. Think for a moment. If you or I were to be described as the sum of our thinking, our feeling, and our actions, well, this is what holiness really describes. It takes all of God and describes who he is. Practically, God is holy in all that he is. In all of his thinking, his feeling, and his doing is holy thinking, holy feeling, and holy doing. God is in a class all by himself, 
He is above all things. He is distinct from everything. He is infinite and of absolute worth. Holiness means to be set apart, to be sacred, to be hallowed. And we see all these in Isaiah's de uh, description of the throne room. Isaiah tells us that God is set apart. He is above creation. We are told uh, of the angels covering their faces, probably because God's glory, a bit like Moses, his glory is too great to be looked upon. Uh, and it is clear that the angels are honouring and revering uh, their holy God. Uh, we also see this example on earth, um, and we see this in Jesus. Jesus was born without sin. He was holy. And all of God's fullness dwelt within him, uh, we're, we're told. Uh, Jesus had feelings of anger, but it was righteous anger in the temple where he turned the tables. Um, Jesus anguished over the Father's plan for him to go to the cross. And his thinking, you can read in his prayer to God, um, to, to take this from me, um, but he submitted to God's will. Uh, and Jesus followed through with action on the cross. Uh, and he was the only acceptable sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath against our, our sin. So coming to Ephesians 5, we are called to be followers or imitators of God. And in verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this first verse is, is a transitional section in the letter, uh, taking what has gone before and connecting it to the next section. Uh, Paul writes with a style of building idea on idea, and he uses a lot of therefores. So it's useful to go back a little bit before we go forward. So let's go back to Ephesians 4. And in verse 1, uh, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul calls us to walk in this manner worthy of a calling, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want to make this point that holiness is not how we achieve peace with God. Now, if we start with a before we're Christians at not being at peace with God, Paul saying we now have that peace through Jesus and by following him and committing our lives to him. Um, the part of not being at peace has already been dealt with. We have this new relationship with God. And it's only then that we're then called to this life of holiness. So we already have this lived experience of peace with God through Jesus. And he covers this again later in verse 30. In verse 32 of chapter 4, that we are sealed and forgiven. Um, and, and then we get into Ephesians 5, that therefore, so it follows that because of this, we are to walk in a manner worthy, which is to be an imitator of God, to maintain this bond of peace. But just staying in chapter 4 for a moment, Paul starts to introduce some themes of how to live as followers of Jesus. And in verse 15, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and into Christ. This call to grow up and the calls to maturity uh, reflect the choices that we have to make, uh, we have to make each day of our lives, uh, the choices we make in our thinking, in our feeling, and our doing. The choices we make are signs of our growing up into God. Or to maybe put it a different way, our desire for holiness 
is a sign of our relationship with God that originates in our being at peace with God. Paul then goes on, uh, starting in, in verse 17 of chapter 4, and he contrasts the old self, the futility of our minds before we are Christians, darkened in their understanding, ignorance due to the hardness of heart, against them growing up in Christ, putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of your minds, putting on the new self, and being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I love how Paul simply describes all of that as growing up, which is really relatable, right? We can think about all the ways that we've matured and grown up in our lives in different ways, and holiness needs to be no different. And we know that as we're growing up in every other way, we have good days, we have bad days, and the path to holiness is one that's full of grace for our mistakes and our shortcomings. What I see Paul saying here is that those with faith are going to be pulled towards a certain way of living. And this is in light of what God has done for us. Our pushing into being holy in our thinking, our feeling and our doing is a response to seeing our holy God. So what's the practical impact of holiness? So going back to what J.C. Ryle says, um, that true holiness is a great reality. It is something in a man that can be seen and known and marked and felt by all around him. It is light. If it exists, it will show itself. It is salt. If it exists, its savour will be perceived. It is a precious ointment. If it exists, its presence cannot be hidden. So from Ephesians 4, 25 through 521, Paul shows us what it is to be the salt and light. And what I love here is Paul doesn't just give us a list of do nots, but he explains the why not to. He explains the benefits to us and to others of being holy. So we have to choose between truth or lies. We have to choose between sinful anger or righteous anger. We have to choose between stealing or hard work, rotten talk or wholesome talk bitterness or compassion. In each case, the motivation for godliness is more than a simple God said so. We pursue holiness for the good of our neighbour, for the pleasure of God, and an imitation of and appreciation for God's work in Christ. So let's get back into Ephesians 5 now, uh, verse 7. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Putting on the new self, imitating God in right thinking, feeling and behaviour, being salt and light in our communities, loving and submitting to one another. That's what holiness is. I'm not saying that every time we are faced with a difficult choice that this is easy. It isn't easy. Hebrews says we are to strive for holiness. Holy living does require perseverance. You know, I can say from my own experience that I've tried to follow rules. I've tried to lead myself into holiness. But the Christian life is one of spirit-led transformation. And where I've failed, I know the Holy Spirit leads me to places of transformation one step at a time. I'm never going to become holy by my own efforts. But in the call to be an imitator of God, the choice is normally pretty clear. Um, I'll just finish with a verse from another of Paul's letters where he writes of the impact of gazing on the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're being transformed into that same image um, of a holy God. Um, let, let, let's just close by spending time in prayer and, and waiting on God. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, would you help us to hold you in focus daily? And Lord, would our gazing on you um, lead us into holiness in our thinking and in our feeling and in our doing? Lord, help us to be salt and light as we strive for holiness. Lord, help us, um, as you transform us into your image, help us to be sensitive to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. Lord, how you're prompting us to, to make the right choice, to, to choose light over darkness.